I wanted to talk to you today about a topic that is, for me, one of the things that has, I think, made one of the greatest impacts uh, in, in my life over the last 10 or 15 years, say probably 10 years, but, you know, and the different things that I've done in business and then in ministry and, of course, in family with having a marriage and then parenting and all these things that this, this topic has significantly impacted the, the ability, or I should say the pace that I feel I've been able to grow at and, and be strengthened at and just become more effective in all of these areas that God has called me to. He's called all of us, obviously, to different things, but relationally and careers and different stuff. And so I'd say that this particular subject uh, is one that would be of tremendous benefit and support for us to really grab onto and really allow God to speak to us about. We've, we've been talking for the last few weeks here about, since the beginning of the year, about really just getting strong this year in our faith, right? And, and, and just challenging one another to say, this is a year in 2015 that we are going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow more in our relationship with God. This is going to be one of those years that we make progress in this area more than we ever have before in our lives. And that's a, obviously a worthwhile and noble thing for us to devote ourselves to in this year of 2015, really at any time. But as we came into this year, we talked about how people make goals and resolutions and all that. And, hey, if there's one thing to set your sights on and, and allow everything else to kind of fall in place around that, allow that to be that you just commit yourself to really growing strong in your faith, growing closer in your relationship with God, because as you become stronger in your faith, as he pours out his wisdom more to you, then you will see any of the other goals and pursuits that you have in your life being strengthened, being enriched, and being advanced as a result of that, right? And so what I, the topic I want to talk about is, is basically having a teachable spirit. Having a teachable spirit. Being a person that is able to learn and, and receive uh, quickly and well in a way that it, it helps you and it benefits you and it strengthens you. And Jesus was one of the greatest examples of this. You know, he, of course, he had his disciples, his 12 disciples, who he poured out to and ultimately they took Christianity to the ends of the earth I mean, billions of people today profess Christianity as a result of what started with Jesus and the 12 disciples. But Jesus himself, you know, even though he was God in human flesh here on the earth, it's interesting whenever he spoke about things, he spoke and said, you know, anything that I do, I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. The words that I speak to you, I don't speak them unless my father tells me to say them. And we know that Father, the Father God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. But in this place in the, of earth when he was here, he, he submitted to authority. He was under authority. And so because he was under authority, he was able to ask others to follow him. If that authority wouldn't have been there, it, would have, it, it could have diluted or made it less effective in his ability to lead 
others. And I believe that was just one of the reasons why he went out of his way to talk about being under authority is so that he could show and he could and that others could see that the man that they were following, this is a man that's also submitted to accountability and to leadership and to direction, right? And honestly, I said, when I started to say, I said in, my, in the last 15 years of my life, and then I changed, I said really in about the last 10. And the reason I said that is because for the better part of my teenage years and into my early 20s, quite honestly, I had a significant aversion to this. I'm just, I'm one of those uh, like flaming A personality types. What do they call that? Like a sanguine, I think, where it's, you're just, you're moving forward, right? And there's four, and don't lose any sleep over that. But I'm, I, this, my personality is one that I'm just kind of averse to receiving direction and receiving correction. Can anybody else relate to that? Am I talking to myself here today? Come on. Come on. Anyway. So I guess it was because in some ways I wanted to like demonstrate that I already knew what I was doing or I was, I was, I was already there. And, and it was almost like I received it as it was a form of demeaning, you know, like I, I wasn't good enough if I needed to receive correction or instruction, like just all the wrong things, right? But this is how my brain was working through those years. And when I finally got to the point where it's like the famous quote of John Wooden, the famous basketball coach, where he says, it's what you learn after you know everything that actually counts, <laughs> right? And when I finally started to be able to see things in that light where it's like, okay, wait a minute. This whole counsel thing, this whole receiving wisdom from other people that are around me, this is, this is actually not so bad. This is really, this is adding something to me. This is, this is making me better, right? When I started to grab a hold of that and realize that receiving counsel and receiving wisdom and just receiving uh, you know, being a good follower, student, if you will, was one of the greatest treasures that I could have in my life as it pertained to becoming who God was calling me to be. That I was actually seeing that I was moving faster, that I was advancing, that I was progressing, that I was getting stronger in my faith and everything else because I was allowing myself to be, to receive and for people to be speaking into me Whereas before, I was just very resistant to that. You know, it was hard for anything to really get through unless I, I was just on a straight focus, right? And so when I started to really embrace that, it began to make a major difference. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. See, I began to see that the quality of, of my decisions, my overall outlook on things, my ability to perceive uh, threats or stumbling blocks before they actually even came was getting better. It was increasing. It was growing. And I started to see the value in what the Bible talks about here where it says in a multitude of counselors there is safety, but when we don't have counsel that we can fall. So I ask you to ask yourself today, as we go through our message, do you, do you feel that you have a teachable spirit? How do you, how do you feel that you uh, measure up to this in terms of having a teachable spirit? So we we'll just agree and say that 
God wants us to be teachable. He wants us to receive counsel and wisdom. We know that. I'm going to prove that to you more and more as we go through the message. But how, how do we measure up to that? How effective are we allowing that, that principle and that concept to be at work in our lives right now today? As we're undoubtedly all moving in a direction towards something purposeful and meaningful that we feel we're being called to. How does the idea of having wise counsel and input around us fit into play? And what we're going to do is we're going to learn from one of the greatest ever on this concept. And that's the story between Elijah and Elisha. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of 1 Kings and we're going to start in chapter 19. But Elijah, it's interesting how close those names are. Elijah was the, the, the teacher. He was the prophet that took on young Elisha, which is actually spelled like Elisha. I wouldn't be real happy about that if I was him, but so be it. So Elisha, for the sake of this, Elijah is Miyagi. Elisha is Daniel's son. Right? Is there anybody that doesn't know that analogy, Miyagi and Daniel's son? Because I... You seem like everybody would, right? But maybe show my age here. Anyway, let me give you a quick uh, background. So Elijah, he's the prophet over Israel. And the king Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, they're worshiping false gods. And they're doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord. So Elijah, he's got a difficult task during his time of tenure, let's say. And... There's a situation where Elijah comes out and he challenges Jezebel's false prophets, which is over a hundred of them, and he takes them up on Mount uh, Carmel. And they, he says, listen, if your God is real, then what we're going to do is we're going to build this altar and we're going we're to fill it with water, uh, this wood, and we're going to say, if your God is real, you pray to him and the fire will come down from heaven and burn up the altar. And so they spent the entire day doing this, the false prophets of Baal. And nothing happened. They began to cut themselves and do all these strange things to try to like show themselves worthy of their false gods, which they're false, right? So there's nothing going to happen. So Elijah, he comes up after it's in the evening, and he prays to God. And I mean, it's one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Fire comes down from heaven. And it consumes the entire altar, and it dries up all of the water around the altar. It's completely quenched, and God's name is made famous. And they actually take all those false prophets, and they drag them down the mountain. They execute every single one of them, and God is restored right at this time. And so Elijah, he goes on, and then, he, and then Jezebel, she's all outraged about this deal. So she's going to put Elijah to death. And he freaks out, so he takes off running, which is interesting because he just had a huge victory, but now, you know, he's on to the next thing, and here he is. He's got to find new courage again, which he's, he runs, and he goes and flees onto this mountainside, and God meets him on this mountainside, and he speaks to him and says, what are you doing here? Well, why are you here? I got work for you to do. I just used you, and now I got more of you to do. And that's what we're going to pick up in the story is in chapter 19, verse 19. It says, so he departed from there. Um, no, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Verse uh, 15. The Lord said to him, go and return to your way, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. She said, go back, out of here, you're not running away anymore. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. And then you shall anoint Yehu as the son of Nimshi over Israel. And then Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. You like my Hebrew translation there? Pretty good, huh? Surprised myself, actually. 
And then verse 17 says, It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Hehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that not has, ki has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle, which is like a cloak, on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and I will then follow you. But he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So what we've seen happen here is that Elijah has placed his mantle, has threw his cloak on Elisha, which is signifying that there is an anointing that is now passing on to you. There's an anointing that's coming on to you. There is a calling now on your life that you have been given and that you now see and Elisha goes and he steps into that calling. He begins to follow Elijah as his teacher and he becomes a student ready to receive what Elijah has to teach him and show him and share with him in order to walk this thing out. Now what's interesting is that for the next few chapters of 1 Kings, you actually don't hear anything about Elisha anymore. You hear several more miracles and a lot of other things that Elijah does, but you don't hear anything about Elisha until 2 Kings chapter 2 where it picks back up. And when you dig into this, theological uh, experts say that this time frame of these few chapters was somewhere between 6 or 12 years. They're not exactly sure and some disagree a little bit, but needless to say, it is a long time before what's getting ready to happen, which we're going to read in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, happens. There's about 6 or 12 to 12 years that passes by in between here. So starting out in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, It came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went, uh, uh, went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, I know this is very complicated here, but stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as long as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together, right? Then in verse 3, then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. That's you know, our version is saying, dude, I know, shut up, all right, keep it quiet. He's not happy about that. He knows what's coming, but just pay attention to how he was responding, even though he knows that's what's coming. So then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And then he said, as long as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho together. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take your master from you today? And so he said, Yes, I know. Shut up, right? And Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has now sent me on to the Jordan. And, but he says, as you can imagine and you know, the Lord, As the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah and Elisha, just the two of them, by the Jordan. And Elijah takes his mantle, rolls it up, sticks it in the water, and the water is divided. And the two of them go through and cross on dry ground to the other side. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked. And suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. So God takes Elijah supernaturally, just takes him up into heaven. He's one of the three people that God did that with, right? They never actually had a burial. They just took him up. Took him up to heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. He took him up. Verse 13, so he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan, and he took the mantle and he, that had fallen, and he stuck it in the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was divided again, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw that, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. Now, we're going to go through, there are some powerful things in the story. I wanted to read through the story in its entirety first, so you get the picture of everything that's going on. But in terms of having a teachable spirit and being the kind of person that is able to receive what God is, is placing people around you to receive from and follow in that and, and, and allow that to effectively help strengthen you and grow you to accomplish what God is calling you to do is one of the greatest lessons that we can learn. And Elisha demonstrates that for us. For example, first of all, Elisha, when he had that mantle thrown on him when he was plowing the oxen, the, the, it's interesting, the calling actually fell on him right there at that time, right? It came on him, but he didn't step right into it and immediately begin to walk it out. There was a period of years that went on that he was a student learning and growing from Elijah and what he had to offer before he was ready to eventually go on into that thing. And many times for us, when we get the strong calling of the Lord and we get the things that we know we're supposed to do, many times we're ready to just step right into it now before a season of preparation and growth has been able to take place and, and, and we receive from that. I remember one time whenever I uh, was having a financial services business and I worked about three and a half years hard to get to this position of regional vice president. And I got that contract after some super hard work, you know, several years of just pouring myself into that. And I finally got it. And I remember thinking like when I got it, this is it. I'm there. I've got it now. You know, now I'm just... Now I'm just, I'm going to move on. This is just, I'm going to walk right into it. And I'm just, I'm this regional vice president now. 
And it, was, it couldn't be farther from the truth. When I finally got the contract and I stepped into it, the learning only just began at that point. There was a whole new level of becoming a student that I had never even really seen that I needed to submit to, that I needed to allow myself to be yielded to if I was going to grow and move forward in that new place, right? And Elisha, he got that. The mantle fell on him. He knew this is his calling. He's going to be the prophet, but he didn't just try to go out and be the prophet right away. He understood the value in receiving what Elijah had to pour out to him before he went on to do that. And you know, just to say here that it's dangerous to have someone in authority who's never actually been under authority. That's a dangerous thing, especially leaders and you know, nations and things like that. You see, a leader that's never actually been able to submit, that's never been able to be the student, has a very difficult time being able to relate to what it's like to be the student to those that they are leading. Are you with me? And so there's something about being able to, uh, to, to have been in the shoes of those whom you are leading, who are following the direction that you're going in, that makes you more effective as you do that. And then we see here that once this takes place and Elijah is going on, uh, he's wanting to move forward. And Elisha, what does he say? He says, no, 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 I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm not staying. I'm not leaving you. What does that show us? That shows us the dedication, the commitment, and the value that Elisha was placing on what he was receiving from Elijah. He understood how valuable and how important being a student and being able to receive from him was to really going on to do what God was calling him to do. He doesn't want to hear it. He knows it's coming, but it, it, it's not like he's, yeah, okay, great. He's out of the way and I'm moving on now. It's my time. It's finally my turn to step up into the spotlight. That's not the way he's embracing. That's not the way he's acting. He's like, I don't want to hear it. I know it's coming. It's going to come when it comes. But for now, I'm, I am a student. I am learning. I'm going to soak this up for everything that I can possibly get. And what he does is he does this three different times. Now, this is really, really important. right? He says, I'm going to go to Bethel. And then he says, I'm going to go to Jericho. And then he says, I'm going to go on to the Jordan. He does this three different times. Not once, not twice, but three. And when you study the number three in the Hebrew, that actually means a number of completeness or wholeness, right? And it often means that when you see something done three times, you need to pay really close attention to what happens next. And I think this is so profound because what, when Elisha does this three times, Elijah tries to move on and he says no. He's, he's demonstrating that he is fully committed to the idea of having this teachable spirit. He is fully, he, he gets it in fullness, right? He is, he's moving forward as a student, and he does not want to depart from being the kind of person that's open to receiving and, and receiving that counsel to become the person that God is calling him and grooming him to be. He does that three times. 
And it shows that he is not just paying lip service to this. He's not just sitting under authority begrudgingly because he doesn't want to be there. Like a lot of people are, right? Well, I'm, just, I'm going to have to, so I do it. He's, he's there, but he is, he is like, I, and, until God takes it away from me, until it's just, it's time to happen, I am going to continue receiving from this man. Because the value I'm getting from that is far greater than not being with him and not having that. And he recognizes that. That's the true teachable spirit there. It's, there's nothing begrudging or non-submitting about it. He's chasing after it, going after it aggressively with everything that he has. And then Elijah says, you pay attention after three times what happens next. Well, what happens next is Elijah says, what do you want me to do for you? That's interesting. What, what do you want me to do? What kind of position do you want me to give you? Or maybe that's some of the things that are going through his mind. But he says, he says well, I, want, I want a double portion of your spirit. He knows that Elijah's getting ready to leave. Think about this. He knows he's getting ready to leave. He knows there's so much more that he has to offer that he hasn't even got yet. And he says, I want a double portion of that. I want... What I've got is so good that I want the rest of what you have that I haven't been able to get yet. And I want double that. I want a double portion of that. I want to receive. I want to be the student. I want to allow the input of the men that God has put in my life to be so effective that I go on to do double the things that you have done, not for my own personal gain, but because the God would be glorified in that. It's so powerful that he asks, and guess what happens, Elijah? He gives it to him. He pours it out to him. And then Elijah, Elisha turns around, and this is very interesting. He goes back, and he puts the mantle in the water, right? And the water parts, and it says he crosses over. Think about this. He just came from that direction. He just came from that direction. It said he went from Jericho, and then he went to the Jordan, and they crossed the Jordan together. Elijah gets taken up to heaven. He gives him a double portion. What does he do? He turns around, and he goes back the way that he came, parts the water again, goes back to Jericho. He sees the prophets that are there in Jericho, and then they rejoice, and they begin to serve him. What does that mean? See, Elisha was his own man. Whew. He had his own calling. He had his own purpose for his life. He understood that. But he was so, he had so much value on the fact that God had put this man, Elijah, in his life to impart to him and to teach him that he was following in the direction that Elijah was going, even though he could have went on to do something else himself. That's good. Wow, isn't that powerful? He turned around and went back the other way. He could have went those other directions the entire time. He was being led now in those other directions. There was probably a pull to go on in many times like there is for many of us to just forget about being under authority or forget about receiving and just go on and do it. And I'm not saying there's not a time to move out into things. We know that Elisha's time came. But what I'm saying is he had that teachable spirit because he was a man with his own way, with his own plan, with his own purpose. But he understood that this man, Elijah, and what he was receiving and the value he was getting in this time of his life was far greater than going out prematurely to do things that he could have possibly gone out to do and experience some moderate level of success. And did you know that Elisha 
actually went on to do exactly twice the number of miracles, what God did through him, that Elijah did. The double portion was exactly honored as he had requested. And I love this because Elisha understood that God's hand was on Elijah. That's powerful. He recognized that God, his hand was on this man and God had placed him in his life. And so he was receiving everything that this man had to offer. And as it pertains to us in our lives, look, we're going to have lots of people that God is going to put around us. And we're all imperfect, so we're never going to say things perfectly or get everything right. And you can understand that about the people that are around you in your life. But that doesn't detract from the fact that God has positioned you with people in order to receive from them and allow them to speak into your life to help sharpen you and to provide the kind of counsel, wisdom, direction, and input that will make you better than you would be had you not had that, trying to go off and run with it all on your own. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17 says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Think about how wise counsel and, and input from people that God has put around us, how that benefits us, right? It, it, it adds to everything that we're doing. We have a greater amount of resources and wisdom to pull from, to glean from, to make more effective decisions and to be able to handle ourselves more appropriately. And when this scripture talks about he who doesn't receive that kind of goes astray, I think about how when we were in construction and we were erecting buildings, as you're going upright with walls and vertically, you know, if you got, let's say, a quarter inch out of uh, plumb, like a plumb line is perfectly up and down, if you got a quarter inch out of plumb in the first four feet, if you didn't correct that and you just kept on going all the way up to, say, 20 feet, you're over an inch out of plumb now. It's just a little bit at first, but it just kind of keeps working its way more and more off the mark. That's why they have levels right? You use a level and you see the bubble and it helps you correct things. You bring that back to plumb. You bring that back to straight. Oh, let me say that when wisdom and counsel is coming into your life, it's much the same. To allow that to be imparted is just like taking that level and putting it on the wall and say, I might be just a little bit off the mark. I need to bring it back the other way. And if we close ourselves off to that, if we don't allow ourselves to receive that, then we just kind of keep on going. And if we get a year or two down the road and we've just totally closed ourselves off from that, oh, how far off the mark will we actually be at that time? When in reality, we could have just consistently been allowing that input in our lives from the people that God has put around us in leadership or just alongside of us to make us better and help us stay the course. Look, God made it this way. He, he gave us relationship to help one another so he has purpose in doing it this way, right? And to receive is to recognize that and to have faith that God is using others to do what he, want, what he wants in and through us. I say, you show me someone who is growing in influence 
and an impact in what they're doing in their lives. And I will show you someone who has a teachable spirit, who is wonderfully following direction and counsel and input from those around them that have things to offer that they themselves may not yet have experienced. I think about JJ and Glory, and I think how awesome of a job, you know, they're doing here. I mean, they've just grown so much in the last couple of months here with us. And, you know, they're always asking questions. Every week, they're like, what, how did it go, Pastor? What, is there anything we could do better? You know, is there anything that you noticed? I mean, and, and they're talking to Pastor Sean, our worship pastor, over all of our campuses. They're meeting with him regularly. And, what can, you know, okay, give us direction. Give us advice. And they're just eating this stuff up. And I look and I see it. It's no wonder they're just, they're growing and they're becoming better and better and leaders. And, and they're just, you can see the gifting and the anointing beginning to just blossom out of them more and more. I say, you show me someone who is growing in influence and growing in impact and what they're doing in their life and in the lives of those around them. And I will show you a person with a very teachable spirit. Do you agree with that? Amen. 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 That's one of mine. <laughs> so some of our kids are sick, so we don't want them down in class. Um, <laughs> they say, you know, statistics show that something like almost 50% of marriages end up in divorce nowadays. And new businesses that start... There's a large percentage of them that actually end up failing in the first year. But one of the things that I saw, they did some studies that I thought was very interesting, is they said when couples engage in premarital counseling before they get married, and when business owners seek wisdom and input and counsel from other business owners who have been successful in their field, that the rate of those failures actually declined by a third. By a third. Isn't that amazing? Speaking of marriages, today is my grandpa and grandma's 63rd wedding anniversary. 63rd. And let me say that we will take everything that you have to offer. Share with us the wisdom of 63 years of a strong marriage. That is awesome. So listen, let's go ahead and bring the team back up here. And I just want to close this out by saying it's a great discovery of truth for us when we realize, first of all, that God has a significant purpose in putting people and relationships and things in our lives that will add to us and help us become who we're going to be. But we have to be able to receive that. It's not good enough for it to, to be around us and to be coming at us. It's just not. It actually has, it, it's, it's what our spirit is like in terms of how effectively we receive that. You know, I spend a lot of time in the hospitals praying with people that are sick and visiting people and stuff. And one of the things that's interesting is a lot of times they give people medication for whatever the condition that they're in or they think they're in is. And, and people have one of two things happen when they receive medication. They either react or they respond to the medication. Now, when they react, they have a reaction, things go wrong. They have bad side effects. It does the wrong things to them or it makes them worse. And so they hurry up and they pull back that medication. 
and they stop giving it to them, right? But whenever they respond to the medication, it means that their body's acting favorably, their condition is improving, and it's doing the job that it was meant to do. Oh, do you get this? When we receive that counsel, not just it's coming out, but when we're allowing ourselves to receive that, wise counsel, I said, right? It's not all wise. We know that. But when we're receiving that wise counsel and that input, the discernment shows us is, is good that God is using to help us. That we should be, we would, our lives look like it's responding to that, not reacting to that. The conditions in our lives are growing more favorable. And the things that we're doing and that we're pursuing are becoming more effective. And who we are for God and how he's able to use us is increased and it's magnified. And the steps that you've taken towards your destiny are growing and passing more and more each time. We can't ex expect this to just be a convenient situation. It's a great discovery of truth when we realize that it's in human nature to just kind of be averse to this kind of thing. But that we need that and we need to let God help us to receive and have a teachable spirit. Because it's not just going to be some convenient thing that just comes along and comes to us and just finds its way into us. Just ask Elisha. He had to go after it, man. He chased it down, and he didn't let it go. And he placed so much value on it that at a time and for a period in his life, he was willing to say, I've got my own way, I've got my own path, I've got my own calling, and it's going to come, it's going to happen. But for right now, I need what this man has to offer me, and I'm going to put that first in the priority skill until God shifts things, until the seasons change. And I'm assuming when he went on that he continued to be a student and he continued to learn from those around him after that. But he did twice the number of miracles. And let me say this last thing. As you receive the counsel and the input, wisdom from God and from those around you, he uses them to give that to you. Much like how it happened with Elisha and Elijah, he did twice the number of miracles in his life. See, when people give it to you, it's been developed to a certain point. And when you receive it, it just gets refined even more in you. It just goes on to become even more effective in what you do with that in your own life. David slayed the giant. It was the first time that had happened. But did you know that his mighty men went on to account for four giants being slayed after that? Four. When you receive wisdom and input and counsel, it, and you allow that to just get in your spirit and let God use that, it's only going to get refined. It's only going to improve. And it's only going to allow you to go on to do greater and better things than anything else you've already seen happen. Jesus said, greater things will you do than what I have even showed you. What does that tell us? He's giving them wisdom, he's speaking to them, and then they're going on to do even greater things with what he's imparted to them. Let us just have a teachable spirit. Acknowledge that God built us for relationships. He built us for community with one another. 
And as we remain in that, that there's wisdom in the counsel and the input of those that he's placing around us that we can draw from that will help us become who we're meant to be.